All right, Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast, Bud's second podcast in a week. We've got some nice listener questions to get to, a couple things to point out on the recruiting trail, and then kind of a follow-up conversation uh, from what we had last, uh, or I guess earlier in the week, regarding uh, projected records, uh, Mike Norvell's job security, what, if anything, can be gleaned by the decision to move on from Mike Martin Jr. So as always, we'll thank the people that make the Nolcast possible, Tarpon Sellers Wine Company, tarponsellers.com, coupon code Nolcast, 20% off on any purchase there used. Thank you again, the uh, broader listenership for the support that you've shown those guys. Uh, been fantastic with some particular great feedback recently. So, uh, Bud, we get to add a name uh, to the 2022 class, which at this point I had kind of uh, written off, uh, particularly adding any more high school kids. But uh, you get a big body athletic kid in uh, Io Tiafase, um, previously 23, reclassified to 22, uh, about a 300-pound defensive lineman out of Maryland. A uh, lot of excitement here. You know, you beat uh, Arkansas, which is a team that's got a – significant amount of juice on the trail with how they've done and Sam Pittman's general uh, response from the college football world right now. Uh, this is, look, we're not going to, you know, shoot off banners and fireworks for a three-star kid committing, but this is a, a really nice piece and one of the final pieces it looks like for the class of 2022. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about this one uh, for a couple of reasons. One, I, I think he does have, you know, a decent bit of potential as a player, you know, a guy who had reclassed to you know, 23 and you know, maybe back to 22 now, uh, he's going to be enrolling, as you said, in the summer. But it's another college-ready body. And I, the FSU is already uh, pretty excited about what it has at defensive tackle from this 2022 class, right? You, you get Daniel Lyons, you get Bishop Thomas. They're very excited about Lyons. They also think Thomas has some upside. Io is going to get to practice. All this fall, he just can't play in games because he's going to be taking an academic red shirt because he doesn't have enough credits to play uh, in the fall. It's kind of one of those decisions like, hey, would you rather go you know, like JUCO or old school prep for a year? Or would you rather just get on campus, start getting developed, knowing that you're not actually going to be able to play in games? Even if he wasn't red shirting, uh, I don't think he'd be able to play. Or If he wasn't academic red shirting, I think there's a pretty good chance he would be regular red shirting considering that they do have, you know, love it and Cooper and Briggs who can slide inside and Malcolm Ray and those, and you know, Josh Farmer and those guys. So um, I think this is another good get. I also like it from your standpoint of you're able to evaluate your room better with a full year under your, under their belt of all three of these guys. I, I, I like getting IO in better now than I would if he was a 23 potentially just because of the evaluation standpoint. Right. Um, you know, that's, that sounds pretty good to me. I, th I think they should be pretty happy about this one. Really nice pickup. A lot of uh, <clears throat> a lot of kind of prospect to work with there. Uh, I'm more excited about this than necessarily his star ranking would uh, lead you to believe on initial uh, feedback. Really impressive kid, if that matters to you guys, as far as the way he carries himself. Conversation. I think there's a lot of good things in store for IO, and I think Florida State's fortunate to get him. So nice little uh, positive note to start off. Uh, the podcast with and uh, you know we may have one more name in the 2022 class but you can you know get pretty close to putting your your final notes on that and get a good idea as to where Florida State stands with a, a class like you said that they think they already had a little bit of success when it comes to uh, 
comes the defensive line. So a uh, nice pickup there. Uh, we'll move here to conversation that we had on the previous podcast about potential records. If that would, uh, you know, what it would need to be for Mike Norvell's job security to really be brought into line. Uh, since I think the day after we recorded, they fired Mike Martin Jr., the former baseball coach. So, you know, maybe that gives perspective. Maybe it doesn't. Uh, I think some people have kind of tried to group and link some things in here that I'm not sure are relevant with the conversation. But Ooh, why don't we, are yes, you, uh, exactly. are that was not intentional, but, uh, you know, we'll go with it. Um, yeah. So let's, let's, you know, have our conversation here about what, if any of us takes away from Mike Martin being let go in the window of time that he was. I mean, look, I, I asked some people about this. I, I don't follow college baseball a, a ton. We don't talk a ton of college baseball on this show. FSU fans do seem to like college baseball, but we don't usually get questions or like people asking a lot of baseball questions or, or requests for us to talk more baseball. Um, I don't know. I wasn't going to do an emergency show for, for Martin Jr., uh, but maybe we should have. I don't know. I I asked about, about this, and, and I, I specifically said, hey, and this is a fairly big booster that I asked about this. I said, do you think that uh, – you know, Mike Alford, the new athletic director, pulling the trigger on Mike Martin Jr. when he did after only two seasons is indicative of a willingness to move quickly uh, if things don't work well for Norvell this year. You know, Stemming, obviously, from the conversation that you and I had last episode, as you noted. And what he said was, no, they were going to lose a lot of guys to the transfer portal because they didn't want to play for him anymore. So it had to be done. Which maybe suggest to me that this would not have necessarily been done if that was not going to happen. It's interesting. It is interesting. Um, I am very hesitant to make too much of this. I'll put it that way. Uh, a real, this is a specific situation where you can fire a coach that was making $400,000 and maybe go hire a coach to make 1.2. You know, that those aren't the economics right. of football. Uh, it's a, totally different situation and look i'm i'm the guy who actively has to like edit myself from stop talking about soccer on this podcast because it's not what you the listener deserve if you sign up and listen to a florida state football podcast you don't need one of the co-hosts entertaining himself with soccer talk um but i really would not bring anything into the conversation of this with uh with kikorkian um Look, you offered to make that guy the highest paid coach in, in the industry. He didn't take it. You know, that's not something that a whole lot of boosters are even going to give more thought than that to it. Uh, yeah. So I certainly don't think Mike Alford's, you know, making decisions on baseball and football based off the fact that um, the soccer coach left after you offered to make him the highest paid position uh, in the industry, which is to the boosters that I talked to about their understanding of that situation. And after that, uh, they don't have a whole lot. So I think – I don't blame people. Obviously, we're dealing with the first real athletic director that this university's had for 12 or 15 years, and people want to make, um, you know, extrapolations off of that and off of what they have as a sample size to make a judgment off of. Um, but I'm I'm real hesitant to try to group any of this, and, and it's not going to change my opinion whatsoever as to what I said. I think it's a totally different situation. The financials are on a scale that is not particularly – uh, that that I think can anything can be taken away from from watching how the baseball program was handled. Um, so you know I, I'm kind of where I was last week as far as a record and what may transpire. 
doesn't sound like you're necessarily moved all that much either. Uh, but, hey, it's nice to have an athletic director that feels free to make the decisions that he does and is obviously wanting to move the, the baseball program in a different direction. So the, the other thing aspect of this is that, A, I agree with you, it is nice to have somebody who, if he, if he diagnoses the situation, which is a lot of kids might hit the transfer portal, uh, that he's willing to you know make the move because he doesn't think that they can pull out of the tailspin. And I think that's probably an accurate assessment. The other part here, though, is baseball clearly has a candidate lined up that they want in Link Jarrett, Notre Dame's current head coach, who they're still in the College World Series. And they, they just beat Tennessee, the probably the most obnoxious baseball team of all time, I, I think. Um, you know, you, you, you can't just turn around and tell the, tell the umpire you're effing terrible uh, twice in a row and, and not think you're going to get tossed, even though the umpire's calls were, were pretty sketchy. Uh, so they, they went in, in, in Knoxville and beat those guys. Um, and they also have some pretty good backup options, right? I mean, granted, one just got hired by, by Clemson, but I, I think that guy would have been a backup option on the list as well. And, and FSU is, a, I think, a somewhat attractive baseball job in the national scene, although it will depend on how much money FSU wants to invest in baseball because clearly, like, they are not replicating the experience that the SEC teams are. SEC teams are making baseball a true event, right? You, you look in the outfield, you got people doing keg stands and, and just having a whole a, a good old time. They're actively tailgating in the outfield, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it just looks like a huge party. At FSU is really kind of screwed because of where Hauser is, I think, as far as ability to make changes and do that. Like you really can't set up parties in the road. Although I guess. I mean, if you wanted to, you could just take down, you could take down the fence and 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 right and just block it off. But that's a that's a lot of times per year to to block off a, a fairly major road on campus. So I, I don't I don't think they would do that. Um, but if you're willing to invest in baseball, and I think long term, baseball is a better fit. If you had to pick a number two sport to invest in, than basketball is. I, I think for Tallahassee, uh, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, but if, if people have the perception that you're going to invest in baseball, you should be able to hire a pretty good candidate. Um, but part of the reason why you make the baseball move is because you do have that candidate out there. And clearly if Notre Dame is going to make a run, Lake Jarrett is either going to get really paid either by Notre Dame or you know by Clemson, who just hired missions coach package, as I mentioned. There was some urgency there, I think, to, to make the move to try and go get somebody like that. I don't know who that guy is in football. Like, is there a real obvious guy? And don't tell me Dion. Like, I've already I, – I, no, come on. Be, be real here. Um, is there an obvious guy in football that Mike Alford says, hey, we have to go get this guy if Norvell and company were to go 5-7? and seven? To me, there's not somebody – that is super obvious. No, no, I mean, not at this time. Not. I mean, I'm not going to play like the here. Let's go down the candidate list if we had to have a candidate list ready. But I. Well, if you get a crack at Bob Stoops, I mean, maybe you do it. Um, well, yeah, but, I mean, I. Uh, it's, it's you know sarcasm for those that uh, aren't previously familiar with me do you uh, remember that being an ass uh, do i remember what that whole all, all that scenario? Just people yeah, claiming pretty well bud i do everybody got sources out of nowhere and they were all yeah okay 
I do remember Bob that. Stoops. Was, yeah. uh, that was a fun time. I think uh, some people who do have sources who knew it wasn't going to happen still still went with it and just made made yeah, stuff up. I, mean, to, I to do try think to, there was know. some of that too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, funny days, funny days. Um, <clears throat> so another thing here, and we have some listener questions on it, and I got some feedback uh, on Twitter and, and email. By no means of, of me talking about five and seven potentially bringing. Uh, and into Mike Norvell's time. That's not me predicting what's going to transpire. The other voice that you hear on this podcast is is like a legitimate gambling expert, and I would listen to him uh, before you you would me when it comes to stuff like this. But I, I, what Florida State's over under six and a half currently? Um, it's six and a half, seven, seven and a half, depending on where you look and the different uh, different juice out there. Actually, I, I'll I have a. I, I have imports going on in my spreadsheet here, so I'll just go ahead and expand this. All right, uh, DraftKings six and a half even money. Uh, we got uh, Bet Online, which is an offshore six and a half, one thirty to the over. FanDuel six and a half. Caesars is hanging seven, one thirty to the over. Uh, points Bet, by the way, which is not in all states, but if you guys really feel un- you feel uh, you know kind of more bearish on this team, they're hanging seven and a half, uh, one twenty five to the under i don't know what uh arsenal's got a weird ju number they're they're six and a half 175 to the over so that basically reads like uh seven and 115 so your number is kind of i would say your number is like 6.8 ish right now in in the offshores you can call it seven because most places are not giving you six and a half with flat juice but yeah, yeah it's like seven I currently like Florida State to, to hit seven, and I at this point in time, I think they're closer to eight than they are six. Uh, I'm fairly optimistic about what next year looks like. It's not me trying to – this is not a prognostication as to what's going to happen. It's more just me talking about uh, what could occur if you have a season where you're basically recruiting is dead and you're you know forced into – looking at what the ramifications of an early signing day period are and going away and signing or going ahead and I don't want to say giving up on the 2024 class, but would certainly put you in a position to have a tough, uh, tough road there for success. So, I have them currently at 7.09. Okay. Spend it out. So yeah, I mean like I'm, I'm not going to be betting the over or the under there based on a, a you know half point. I will also note that, I have them as a single-digit spread in nine of twelve games. So, a lot of stuff can happen there. Yeah, I mean, you could go seven and two in those, and all of a sudden, ooh, okay, like you're, you know, you're 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 doing something. You could go, you know, three and six in those. That ain't so great. We'll just have to see. Obviously, a conversation that uh, will play itself out in time, and uh, you know we're not in a in a rush to uh, to uh, crown Mike Norvell as a, a guy that's uh, you know going to get a five year extension after this year or somebody that's going to be let go. But uh, interesting series of circumstances, ramifications that could transpire, and whether or not you have a coach on a hot seat will be uh, you know probably dictated by the first five games of the season or so. Uh, one. 
thing that we don't need any more evidence or uh, data points on to know is that we have been fortunate enough to pair with two absolute legends in the home loan industry. Chad and Shannon have been uh, nothing but first class for for Bud and his two personal interactions with him. Uh, nothing but fantastic feedback on the, I believe we're at 411, somewhere in that area loosely as to either original mortgages or refis. Uh, certainly the market has changed over the last three or four months, and uh, it's a different process of going through and trying to find uh, where you're eligible, what's possible for you. And there's there's nobody better to walk you through that process than Shannon, uh, a guy that is as responsive as uh, anybody out there, truly a five-star mortgage broker. Uh, Shannon's fantastic. Shannon is the Dalvin Cook of his industry, as we are wont and fond of saying, and uh, a big thanks to those guys for making the Nolcast possible. No doubt about it. Awesome supporters of us. Really appreciate you guys supporting them. If you know, if right now, if right now is the time for you to get a loan or a refi, definitely call that number eight four four FSU loan. It's eight four four FSU loan. And uh, I, I want to talk a little, uh, little little dominoes, not the pizza, uh, but quarterback dominoes here. Uh, if you saw the announcement, man. Uh, so Jaden Rashada who's one of the top quarterbacks in the country uh, out of California. He is announcing on CBS HQ, HQ which is, of course, uh, you know, my employer. Um, so he's pushing his date back just a couple days uh, to early next week. And uh, I'm excited to see where he goes. And I really kind of feel that almost wherever he picks will have some implications for FSU's quarterback recruitment process. If you guys are new to the show or just don't follow recruiting a lot in the offseason, Trust me, I will tie this back to FSU. FSU currently has a commit from three-star quarterback Chris Parson, who is out of Tennessee, and they have also recently offered Brock Glenn and Ricky Collins, uh, and they are uh, they're monitoring uh, a quarterback named Emory Williams uh, out of Milton High School there in the Panhandle. Some schools really like him; other schools are not as sold. Um, so let's let's run through some of these scenarios because the. So he has a final five, uh, A&M, Miami, LSU, Ole Miss, and Florida. I was told Ole Miss is not going to be the pick. Like, they're they're out. So to me, it's really a four. I also don't really feel the need to include Ole Miss because that one might actually not have real implications for FSU's quarterback recruiting. But uh, so if A&M misses, I think it's interesting to discuss where they what they do and, and what that – might impact FSU's uh, quarterback recruiting. Well, yeah, uh, it's interesting. The three different schools here that you have listed, four different, uh, if you include UF, uh, A&M already had a, I don't want to say it has flirted, but certainly has looked at uh, at Glenn, the kid out of, uh, what, the Memphis area there. Um, if Miami misses, do they reevaluate where they are with the kid Williams that you just mentioned? Uh, if LFU, if LSU misses, do they look three miles down the street and recruit the local prospect? Uh, I, I think this is a good thing to bring up, not just uh, pimping an announcement on your network, but it will certainly have, uh, you know, has the potential to have uh, larger ramifications for Florida State and, uh, you know, may bring uh, a school or two in which they would, uh, I don't want to say struggle against, but it would certainly be a more formal level of competition should, uh, some of these schools decide to focus or make an emphasis on uh, one of these prospects if Rashada uh, does not, in fact, go their way. 
Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Um, FSU's quarterback recruiting is going to get clarified quite a bit over the next month. Uh, obviously, they still have Parson. We'll see You know how hard after Parson is Mississippi State, right? Like, do they want him badly? I don't know that, man. I, I, I Was it on yeah. our, our group chat that, that this came up? I uh, I have some skepticism around that uh, as well. Uh, that that's a true legitimate quarterback offer. I mean, uh, that's what I've heard from some people in the industry that I tend to uh, point stock in or put stock in what they tell me. And uh, look, I'm not trying to bag on a kid. He's he's going to get a quarterback spot somewhere. Absolutely. Uh, I'm just not sure that that's a true uh, SEC West uh, quarterback uh, offer from from what Parson and his relationship at at Miss State. For sure. Um, all right. So I'm interested in what happens with Emory Williams because I have heard from some coaches in college who really like this kid. A lot of my buddies who are G5 coaches are really hoping that like Miami and UF don't offer this guy. And now FSU is entering the picture potentially as well. Uh, he might end up being really good. He actually, I think, got the final or, or penultimate spot in the Elite 11 final. So when I go out there to LA next week, well, two weeks now, uh, well, like like 10 days. All right, let's just call it 10 days. Fine. When I go out there to L.A. in 10 days, uh, I'm going to get to see Chris Parson. I'm going to get to see Brock Glenn. I'm going to get to see Emory Williams. And I'm going to get to see Ricky Collins all side by side. So I, I will have a, a much better feel for how how these guys compare, you know, seeing them side by side than I otherwise would. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. I'm trying to figure out, like, what the best situation here is for FSU as far as where Rashada goes. I think it's that he goes to AM personally. I think that's possible. Yeah. But so okay. If he goes to AM, that means Miami misses. Miami's backup, we think, is Emory Williams. They're they're the one school on this list that got him on campus, worked him out, seemed to like him quite a bit. Didn't if they offer it, it's kind of one of those, hey, like you got an offer, but Let's understand, you know, like our, our we're not necessarily pushing for you right this second type thing. I I think Florida. I don't know who their backup plan is. To be honest, they they were also in on Vizina, who they they missed and went to the Clemson. Their their fans are just furious right now. By the mm -hmm. way, um, you know they they missed on Harris, who who just went to Georgia, and I, I think they expected Billy Napier company to start crushing recruiting immediately, and. Uh, I think they are doing much better than Dan Mullen did, and they're starting to build some relationships. But kids don't necessarily know who Billy Napier is, right? Like, he was there at Louisiana for... Same thing we've talked about with Mike Norvell. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Um, so some of the guys on his staff, they do know who they are, and I, I think they're connecting with kids fine. They have some you know, some new staff buzz. But I don't know that that new staff buzz is getting them over that Georgia-Bama, to some extent, obviously, you know, Clemson uh, hump quite yet so if florida misses they're kind of a wild card here i'm not really sure what they would do if a&m misses okay look, look, i'm gonna agree with you that's the best obviously for if she's quarterback recruiting also you don't want miami to get a potential five-star kid since you play them uh can i i'll play devil's advocate here i guess for a second if i can because i i can agree with you i think a&m is the best landing spot for rashada for domino effect QB recruiting for the Knowles. If Miami gets him, obviously you're going to have to play him, which you don't really want to do, but 
you know, I mean, you're trying to get good players too, and, and you just hope yours are better than theirs. Is Brock Glenn assured that he wants to go to AM if that happens? AM just got Connor Wegman, who they really apparently like. They still have Haynes King on the roster, who is a, I think, like a double redshirt freshman because he was hurt last year after two games and also had the COVID year. So you got that going on. And they also have Max Johnson, who is only a third year guy. That's true. I forget. Connor Wegman was a top five guy. Yeah. I forget Johnson's got more eligibility than, than I originally thought. Um, It's a loaded room, man. So like, I'm not really guaranteed that he would go there. I don't know who, who Florida would go in on. It also leaves like the Emory Williams door open for you a little bit. If Miami does get Rashada, you know what I'm saying? And that, Mm -hmm. that kid might turn out to be the best of these guys. I mean, we, We've seen some of these kids in person. We we haven't seen all these kids in person. I, I think going to the Elite 11 uh, will help us out quite a bit. So it might leave more options open, but clearly you're correct because my option is that Miami gets gets a potential five-star QB. So yep. that's not what we want. Well, and we, we didn't talk as much about LSU here. I mean, I don't know that they immediately go to Collins, but you know, I'll be interested in your opinion after Elite 11 of the kids that we've talked about. Collins is probably my favorite of the four at this moment, at least as, in my opinion, what he projects to, what he's got the ability to turn into with time. Um, yeah, I don't know at what point if LSU starts to just look down the road rather than trying to grab quarterbacks elsewhere. But, uh, you know, maybe maybe I would have one B, B in this kid choosing LSU and LSU having their quarterback and, uh, you know, knowing that you can – go and spend all this time and resources in Baton Rouge and not ultimately lose it because a last minute LSU offer comes in. So, and, and that's an interesting one to me because they, if you're going to win that, like if, if LSU does start pressing for him, I think you have to go negative a little bit and say, Hey, Walker Howard is Brian Kelly's guy. Like, like Walker Howard was probably going to flip to, to the Irish when, um, uh, Orgeron got fired at LSU because Kelly was recruiting him so well. When Kelly went to LSU, obviously, it was like the staff he liked the most, who loved him the most, is all of a sudden at the school that he wanted to stay at because Walker Howard was a Louisiana guy. Uh, and I think the pitch there is like, do you really think you're going to beat out Walker Howard when Walker has a year in the system and was clearly like Kelly's number one pick last year? I don't know. Maybe. Uh, but that could be kind of hard. Again, I really don't know what Florida's backup plan is at this point. Um, they could throw a wrench in things, certainly. But it's not like a whole lot of big-time quarterbacks have played for Napier, right? Yeah. So, something to consider. Something we'll watch play out, get a better idea, and then your time uh, out at camp will certainly give us a, a better feel for the you know prospects themselves. Uh, oh, we- uh, one thing I got a little text um hakeem williams is going to come up for another visit this summer hmm. so that's uh that's that's good news right i mean i, I think uh i think everybody thinks a&m is in the driver's seat there but uh um you're also battling georgia and uh and pitt so pitt's kind of an interesting name there, I guess Miami technically, but I don't really think they're going to get, uh, you know, uh, I don't think Miami's going to get Williams. Yeah. Yeah. Big Williams is a, a big time receiver out of South Florida. Um, A&M's got 
Coley and Craig uh, recruiting him. So they certainly know those roads and uh, how to recruit that area of uh, Georgia with uh, Brian McClendon and some of their staff. Um, yeah, it'll, it'll be a, it'd be a tough battle, but um, I'm not trying to throw a ton of optimism <laughs> at people, but the, I have my concerns about wide receiver recruiting long-term, uh, but they, they're, they're doing a little bit better in 2023 than maybe I would have given them credit for two weeks ago or so. It's uh, there's maybe a little bit more there than, than I would have thought at, uh, at first glance. So something to keep in the back of your mind and see how that plays out. I agree. I, okay. I agree with you on that in that I think they are doing better with their top prospects than some people realize, but there is no prize for second place. Mm, Now, as I said, I've got them projected at seven wins. They could go nine and three. They could go five and seven, right? Both of those are just plus two to where I think a, a fair average is. You know, if they go nine and three, that's some decent wins, you know, at least by name on that schedule. Um, then maybe they're in that. One guy I think I would offer, though, I, I think Micah Mays is a pretty good player uh, at the Benjamin School down there in, in, in South Florida. I've seen him play seven on a number of times. I think we talked about him maybe two or three episodes ago. You know, he, he does track. Obviously, it's, you know, it's it's one a uh, Benjamin school is not not real big, but I think Micah Mays is a good player. I know Wake Forest loves Micah Mays, and I kind of trust what Wake Forest does with receivers. Have you seen like the last, I don't know, five years under this staff? I I, I think he's a good player and somebody they should probably offer. They're, they're obviously in on on Andy Jean to some extent, and William Fowles is another name to know at receiver. But I, I think Micah Mays is a guy who they they should offer. Um, you know, but so we'll look real quickly. We talked about uh, Ao Tafasi at the beginning of the podcast being one of the final pieces of the 2022 class. If there is um, one more piece to be made, but it certainly appears as though it would be a decision uh, that would involve either Damon David, the defensive back out of Oregon that has visited or uh, the turn team kid out of South Carolina that we've talked a couple times about now turn team. We expressed, I think skepticism appropriately early, not necessarily skepticism, but some concern that, Hey, you're not just getting a kid that had 11 starts at South Carolina or something like that. There's a little bit more of a layer to the story to be fair to the kid showed up um, in much better shape than some of the kind of sloppy body composition uh, comments that I had gotten from people uh, in the SEC as far as thoughts about him. Um, Bud, would you agree that, you know, a final addition certainly seems to be down to one of these two kids? Perhaps you give a walk on uh, a scholarship here, uh, but to me, it'll it'll either be David or Turrentine with probably about a 90% probability. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, the only real wrench we could throw in this process if is is there a JUCO out there? And look, full disclosure, I don't know of anybody. Okay, I'm just saying this could happen in theory because it does happen sometimes. Is there a JUCO out there who manages to get, get done a lot more classes than we're anticipating? And all of a sudden, instead of becoming a 23 prospect, there's a JUCO who, hey, surprise, I'm a 22 now, right? Um, that's the only real other option, but I, I think it would be either – uh, you know, either David, the DB out of Oregon, or or turn time. Um, yeah. yeah. So one uh, final thing for we listener questions. Uh, this is really more just a response to some social media and Patreon messages and email messages we've received. Um, I want it to be clear. 
it's kind of joking, kind of serious, uh, that I have no ability to get anyone into the College Hall of Fame uh, more than just a one-time off with Marvin Jones uh, last year. That was nice. It was cool that we were able to like predict it literally a year ahead of time uh, after some people that I talked to. I think it's fantastic that uh, Janikowski, Dunn, and, and Peter Warwick are, are candidates. Uh, ultimately, I think all three will get in in time. Uh, I think Dunn may be the first just because of his um, appeal with uh, with media members and uh, the perception of all the things he's done, both, uh, you know, in career and out. But, uh, yeah, the 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 Marvin Jones, hey, I think you guys might have missed this one. You need to give it strong consideration is a is a bullet that I can only fire one time before I'm told to just, you know, uh, blank off and uh, never give, uh, you know, never give comments on the subject matter again. So hopefully there's not that many uh, big misses left. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, like I'm, I know there always are some, but uh, I get to go to the college football hall of fame pretty soon, by the way, man, I've never been nice. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to go. It's lovely. I, uh, Wall of helmets is really cool. It is. We're not doing. Um, uh, well, there's still like some, some remnants of like COVID restrictions that we, I think will be fully rid of uh, by next year. So we'll probably resume doing more of the in-person you know, like employee meetups, but I, I'm going to go to SEC and ACC uh, to meet with uh, all of our guys who have to go to SEC media days and ACC media days. And SEC media days is, is held there in Atlanta at the College Ball Hall of Fame. And uh, I I got a hotel that's walking distance, so I don't have to worry about that downtown parking. Which there is you go. Well done. Nice. Although walking distance in July in Atlanta, I feel like, is there any distance <laughs> that you really want to be walking? I, I, I don't it's know. It's very limited. Very limited. Yeah. yeah. Um, quick opponent note here. Uh, a lot of times, I think FSU fans and all fans are, are a little bit myopic and well, woe is us. You know, we got only only we would have a, a you know a top transfer receiver and a, you know one of our most important players get hurt right with Winston Wright obviously in the car accident with the you know the brutal leg injury. I mean, I, he's tweeting like he's going to be back. Uh, I'll believe I'll believe it when I see it that he's not just back, but like back and, and what you needed to be and what you needed them to be was your number one receiver. And I, I believe he would have been your best receiver by a mile if he had been healthy on the team. I, I don't think you're going to get that now, at least not for this year. However, uh, I did start our crowdsourced offseason injury thread on Twitter, which is just something for, you know, wagering purposes. Good to remind yourself who got hurt or who got ruled ineligible. And uh, one, it actually is, is it, person at Bishop Place, uh, Boston College. Unfortunately, Christian Mahogany, who was one of the top three or four offensive linemen uh, for centers and guards on the early NFL draft boards, he's out for the year with a torn ACL. Uh, Twitter rumor there is uh, done playing pickup basketball, but this is fairly relevant because Boston College does come to Tallahassee, what, the fifth week of the year, I think? Is that right? Uh, yeah, I think the schedule be either game, game five like. or six, uh, but yeah, uh, game four actually. Oh, four. after uh, after after Louisville. All right, so Boston College comes to town after Louisville eight days later. Uh, Boston College now returns zero offensive line starters. They had already missed four, who I think they had two or three draft picks, and uh, and now they return zero. Now look, they get your Kovic back, but. And and they had some offensive linemen who were hurt last year. But FSU really abused them up front last year. That was probably the best defensive game FSU had played in quite a while. And you'd be remember that B, BC made some insane catches in that game to like just to keep it close. Otherwise, I kind of thought the Knowles should have 
probably been up a little bit more. Yeah. Um, that's a big deal, man, to lose all five offensive linemen. Oh, it's a big deal, and it's also tied to what we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast. I, I made a comment that your first five games are going to have a massive uh, impact on perception of coach, perception of program. Games six and seven are NC State and Clemson, games that you're probably going to lose. Uh, but games five, one through five, Duquesne, which we don't really need to talk about. And then the four uh, of of matter, LSU, Louisville, Boston College, Wake Forest. And... Um, yeah, that that Boston College game becomes a eminently more winnable occasion with uh, without them having their best offense alignment. And I hate it for the kid, uh, but the fact is the fact, and you know that makes game number four uh, a little bit more likely that you end up with a win. So, uh, certainly I mean, worth you, pointing out. You definitely would prefer to like if if you had to go seven and five, right? The seven, like the most optimal way to do this for recruiting, I think. Is you start seven and zero and you finish zero and five. I know that's I know that sounds crazy, but I really do think most kids have their decisions sewn up, you know, by by Halloween, yeah. and then you know you you can basically say, hey, like the reason, like you saw how hot we started, the reason we didn't finish well is because we didn't have depth, we had some key injuries, blah 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 blah. Literally the exact opposite of what you did last year is mm-hmm. what you want. Yep. I mean, nobody wants to to, to be that streaky, but uh, that. That would be ideal. I mean, that means if you did that, you would beat. Well, it's unlikely because uh, you know that means you would have wins over LSU, Louisville, NC State, Florida, or uh, Wake Forest, Boston College, Clemson. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. All right, so we'll get into uh, listener questions here. This has gone a little bit longer than we uh, realized, and most of these are pretty green, so we can roll a couple of these over to uh, the next podcast if necessary. We'll thank our friends at Congruity. Matt Lewis, a uh, fantastic individual to work with, as we can uh, personally state. Uh, just as we say, there's there's massive players in this industry, um, and sometimes it's maybe you know just easier to check a box. Uh, give these guys five, 10 minutes, explore whether or not they're a good fit for you. I kind of laughingly joked about the fact that uh, I've worked at this new position that I'm in in three or four months, and we've already moved over to congruity because um, that's just how it worked out. And uh, they provided us great value, excited to work with Matt uh, on multiple fronts. The feedback that we've gotten on Matt has been nothing but fantastic from listeners uh, who have decided whether it be payroll, HR, wherever the fit is, uh, so congruityhr.com is the website. As many people have, if you'd uh, feel more comfortable reaching out to me uh, to put a personal introduction uh, into Matt with you, I'd be more than happy to do so. But great people who uh, we're so fortunate to partner with and uh, who do their part in making the Nolcast possible and making listener questions uh, like these possible that we're able to uh, answer on a Friday morning. So we'll go to the first question. St. Pete Noel writes, ask if you are Mike Norvell, what are you doing to try to generate buzz on the recruiting trail right now? Do you push all your NIL resources on on one or two big time prospects to enhance the current optics of the class? seems like the only coach carrying on this recruiting trail is Alex Atkins. Currently FSU is not even on the radar of many top prospects. More importantly, not on the radar with top prospects within their own state or perhaps even worse, their own city. Um, there's not much he can do. He missed his window for hype. Part of that was losing games. Part of that was when COVID hit. I mean, and part I, of that was not signing the, the 
two or three yeah. pieces that could have really sent you into hype overdrive last year. So, right. Uh, I mean, yeah. obviously, like like losing Hunter will will we'll have you know reverbs. There's a reason I asked: Are we just playing out the string on National Signing Day? The answer to that, we might look back and say, yeah, we were basically since you know since since December of 21, just playing out the string. Yeah. The it's answer long term is win. And but if Mike Norvell succeeds here, I do not think it'll be a super quick turnaround. Right. I think it's just, hey, he's consistently making improvements to the roster, which he is. And the team is getting better year over year, which it is. I mean, it was a lot better last year than it was the year before. I do think this year's team is better than last year's team. I think noticeably so. Um, you know, can it continue to improve to where all of a sudden kids start to take notice? Uh, rivalry wins can help. Uh, but you know, I thought Andrew Ivins and, and Cooper Patagna said it well the other day. Like nobody needs the season to get here faster than, than FSU recruiting wise. Um, I really do like the question though. It's a, it's a good one. Uh, yeah. If you could come to some kind of NIL agreement with, uh, with a massive piece of the 23 class, that would be nice. And that would be what I would, uh, personally prescribe to, uh, some of the things I'd also point out that, uh, Odell Haggins continues to be an incredible recruiter. And the fact that that guy's, you know, uh, the age that he is and continues to be one of your best pieces is, uh, both a testament to him as one of the better position coaches of all time. Um, and a little bit concerning that maybe some of the younger pieces aren't carrying their weight, but uh, I would add him to the list that is performing on the trail right now. Old blue chicken, another great name says, does Florida state moving on from Mike Martin jr. Confirm this administration's confidence in Mike Norvell to be the guy and significantly decrease the probability that he is fired after this upcoming season. You would expect a program that is struggling financially to save every dollar they can if they're preparing to potentially fire their head football coach for the second time in three years. I mean, that's a, I feel like we just answered this question in the opening salvo a little bit, right? Um, what's the slant on this that we haven't taken yet? I'm trying to think. You want to crack this one first? <laughs> um, I would just reiterate that I certainly understand the idea of financially saving for a football coach, but you know the this the money that's needed to solve the baseball problem, and then money that's needed to potentially solve the football problem is like uh, you know the difference of replacing your kitchen counters versus buying a new house or something like that. I mean, it's a whole nother proposition. Um, I wouldn't say that, you know, I, I would not certainly would not gleam any confidence in Mike Norvell to be taken because they fired Mike, Mike Martin Jr. I think that's fair. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, what do we have next year? Uh, Albert's question. Uh, hey, guys, like the last pod question for you. If Norvell can go seven and five, is there any chance of an extension? And if so, is there any chance he could revamp this coaching roster? It was mentioned that if things go wrong, this could be his last year, even if he goes five and seven. Is there a chance of blowing up the staff and trying something different? I feel like Dugans obviously would have been fired if he thought this was the last offseason he would have. Uh, well, he did try to replace Ron Dugans last year. I think that's pretty well known. They wanted to get Juwan Sider and did not get it done. He elected to stay at Penn State. If I was Juwan Sider, I would definitely stay at Penn State over coming to Florida State. One coach just got a 10-year extension. The other coach is thought in the industry, at least, of other coaches to be coaching for his job. Uh, would he get an extension at seven and five? I think so. I do. 
Um, if you keep him around, you need to give him an extension. Now, is it a real extension or is it one of those Jim Harbaugh style extensions where the actual guaranteed money after this year is basically zero? It's it's you know, very heavy on incentives and uh, thus it's more of an extension for recruiting purposes and less of an extension uh, that would leave you liable. If Mike Norvell goes seven and five, he does not have leverage against the school. The school has leverage against him. He's going to want an extension for recruiting purposes because you don't want to go into a recruiting season and saying, hey, I, I'll be here two more years for you, right? Like, that's just not going to work. That's why, I mean, I don't know that it would actually kill you in recruiting, but all the agents are going to claim that it will. So the school, the response should be what Michigan did and say, yeah, that's fine. We can extend you. Um, we will. And we'll even give you raises in those years because we think you're going to continue to improve, but they're not guaranteed, right? Uh, this will be just the amount we had before. The interesting part of this question to me is, would they give him a chance to revamp the staff again if they go seven and five? Point counterpoint? On the one hand, if you're going to keep the guy here, you need to let him make the improvements that he wants to make. I think you probably need to make several changes on the defensive side of the ball, personally. I think the Randy Shannon hire was kind of a Band-Aid on, on a you know issue as far as like player relatability and whatnot, and I just don't think that's a great combo over there. Um, on the other hand, to get good, good coaches in, they're going to come in an uncertain situation that would require multi-year assistant deals, which would then have to be bought out if things don't go better in 23. Are you willing to do that? I don't know. I, I, that's a tough, tough call for Mike Alford. Don't you think? It would be. Um, there's a there's a piece of me that that thinks that seven and five is not necessarily the the end of Mike Norvell, and I'm not talking about getting fired. He's not getting fired if they go seven or five, uh, but that there Definitely may be not. a little bit more momentum there that you can sell. Th we turn three into five. Top classes or something like that as my computer video cameras spazzing out here apologies um i do think that what you would see is exactly what you talked about is, is kind of a um a, a show contract more or less to continue to give you uh, the ability to tell people that you're going to be there uh i do think that they would let uh, look seven and five it's going to matter on the optics how you got there etc uh, but I, I do think that there'd be a little bit more support for Mike uh, to make changes and continue to try to build this thing up because he's more or less doing what you hired him to do at that point. Now, you know, we can talk about what your expectation would be for, for 2023 and what it has to be, but you, told, you, you brought the guy in. I talked about this last time. Your number one want with your consultant was somebody that's going to bring us stability, point the ship in the right direction, and get the ship moving in that direction. And that has occurred, certainly not in the manner that you've wanted it to. And the ship doesn't have shiny pieces like Travis Hunter on it at this point. And that sucks. Uh, but I do think that if you saw seven and five, that you'd still have more buy-in from the people that matter than maybe your sidewalk, you know, common run-of-the-mill fan would, would expect at Florida State after years of winning three, five, and seven games. I, I think that makes sense. Okay. Um 
You want to take Matt's question? Yeah, let's do uh, Matt's question here. So what is the range of expected quarterback play in a Mike Norvell offense? He hasn't had the pieces to make the offense what we're uh, to make the offense what we're told it should be. So we're left wondering. I think of Jimbo at Florida State, and I think the ceiling is being 2023-2013 Jameis and really good examples of Ponder and Manuel. I doubt we'll ever see anything like that from Mike Norvell's QBs, uh, but I hope you tell me I'm wrong. Well, I, I think it just depends on how long he stays, right? If he continues to build things and they continue to win more games than they did the prior year, and if you're able to recruit off that, uh, then it's certainly possible. I don't really know what the, the ceiling is. His offenses typically score a lot of points, you know, just wherever he's been. I, I do think he's a pretty good offensive coach. Um, you know, Ponder, I thought, had a really good year, and so did Jameis. The floor, though, for some of those offenses, passing the ball, uh, that Jimbo had was was pretty poor, you know. Um, now, part of that I think is is that Jimbo's a pretty good quarterback coach. I think his offenses are like horrendous for receivers. If you if you look at the rate in which you know, highly rated receivers go to that offense and don't get drafted, it is scary, um, especially over like the last ten years. You can only you know you can only like like ride on the whole you know, two thousand five LSU offense for so long. Yeah. Um, I would point out to uh, Matt and all of our listeners that uh, Kevin Little and Adam Brown have a pretty interesting video series going right now over at Knowles 247 on some of the complications and intricacies of Mike Norvell's passing game. And uh, that may be something that you find interesting based off your uh, question here. So I think the most Recent one is titled Failure to Launch uh, Play Calling Decisions in the Passing Game, and I would point you in that direction. Uh, but I think that'll probably be uh, it for today's show. we got a couple other questions here that I'll store away and we'll hit on uh, first of next week. But uh, enjoyed it as always. Thank you, the listener, uh, for the incredible amount of support that we have uh, been so fortunate to receive. If you give us a five-star review or you have uh, time to give us a review, or a rating on iTunes, Spotify, wherever it may be. Know that it's wildly appreciated from us, and we'll have something to you uh, next week as we make our way through the summer off season here. Enjoy it, buddy.